Hi, I'm Amy. And I'm Marcella. And we are both transracial and transnational adoptees, as well as licensed clinical social workers and trauma therapists. We have dedicated our lives to shedding light on the complexities of adoption and the systems responsible for them. We have seen both personally and professionally the silent and overt struggles brought on by this trauma, and we are determined to do our part to bring about healing. We know that some of the information we share and topics we unpack may be triggering and uncomfortable at times, but we feel the only way to promote change is to be honest by sharing our truths and elevating the voices of those in our community. We hope you will join us on this journey of listening and learning with an open heart and an open mind. Welcome to Adoptee's Dish. When we work with adoptees or maybe even in our own journeys, excuse me, there's parts or moments where we feel like it's hard to accept the whole or all of our parts. So we don't even have recognition of all of our parts. What do you think resonates with our community when using this modality? Mm, Wow. That is such a good question. I think that a key piece of it is, I don't know, but it seems like a lot of adoptees relate to this baby in them or what in IFS we would call this baby part Mm -hmm. who was relinquished, abandoned, um, removed, and then adopted. And so I think that in and of itself maybe can be enough. I mean, like with my own story, I had done this inner child work with this eight-year-old who thought it was her fault. Mm. And even though there were other parts of me or, you know, what I came to know as other parts of me who cognitively knew otherwise, I still had this young part that felt like it was her fault. So I I don't know that in this respect, adoptees are, you know, any different than anybody else in terms of just connecting with, oh my gosh, that makes so much sense that there are these different parts of me, because I think pretty much everybody at some point thinks, well, or says, part of me wants to do this. And another part, you know, wants to, part of me wants to go to, you know, whatever it is, that party. And another part just wants to stay home on the couch. Mm. You know, I think we all relate to that, but specifically for adoptees, I think that there may be um, resonance with that baby part of them um, or that inner child. Yeah. I think that makes so much sense. And, and I, I've seen that within, within my practice and even, you know, with, with, you know, pretty young children, even just knowing, I think that what resonates so much, um, just societally, I think we're so much in the habit of being like, okay, adoption is the starting point, And then it's everything, you know, beyond that. And I think IFS mm-hmm. is just this really gentle, compassionate way of acknowledging, you know, you existed before, this adoption date and you existed and had a life and a history and parts of you were there before that event. And I think that that is something that isn't given a lot of space for um, just societally or even sometimes within adoptive homes. And I think that is something I've seen resonates with a lot of people of like my story started before adoption day. That's right. And that's something that I write about 
in the chapter. I contributed to um, a recent IFS book that was released. And that is that, you know, we came into this world the same way everybody else did. We were carried by our mothers and we spent that nine months in her womb and we were born to her by her, just like everybody else. And we were born also needing just like everybody else to hear her voice and see her face and smell her scent and be held by her. And that is not necessarily what happened. Mm. And sometimes that happens now. I mean, more often, but like when I was born and adopted domestically in 1968, I was you know, immediately taken away. She wasn't allowed to hold me at all. She wasn't even allowed to see me. And that is a trauma. And that separation, as one client of mine so beautifully described it, that infant mother separation mm. is a trauma. And all of that happened first. That is everything that had to happen in, in order for there to be a need for someone to get adopted. And even, you know, the language adopted you know, adoptee, it centers the adoption. And we, you know, we call ourselves adoptees. We are referred to as adoptees as though, like you were saying, that's where it started. And that's not where it started. Mm -hmm. There was something traumatic that happened first that left an, an indelible mark. And, you know, the consequences of which I believe that we deal with for the rest of our lives. Hmm. just like so heavy to think about it like my whole body is just like oh like that's yeah. that's a lot because like we're just teeny yeah. like we're little humans when all of these things are getting thrown out right our way like of course we would have parts that would need to come in and try and lessen the blow of all of that yeah it's Absolutely. so powerful here how you name those pieces and the way you describe it and the way you speak around that experience I think just gives at least my system and I'm sure others listening can have the same experience, just so much permission to lean in and be curious about what was that little part of me experiencing in, in that moment? What did I need? What was I not able to receive, you know, and, and leaning into those curiosities, I think leave us with tons of answers and tons of information. So thank you for, for like just pausing and just reframing that a little bit for us. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's really important. And I think, um, I think the language is important. So important. You know, I, I have used the word relinquishy because, you know, I was relinquished. I, and I've used the word relinquishy hyphen adoptee. Um, that doesn't resonate with everybody. I love this term that my client gave me, um, and gave me permission to use, which is survivor of infant mother separation. Mm. And, you know, that's not, you know, one word that is easy to say. And so it feels like we're kind of left with adoptee, but it centers the adoption mm. and it centers, which is an adopt adoptive parent and adoption professional centric perspective. 
That's such a good point. I love that you like highlight that. That's such a good point that even the word itself is not centering us in our experiences and we are the most impacted. And I don't That's want to right. dismiss or invalidate anyone else's trauma as it attributes to this narrative. But really, I mean, mm-hmm. we are the most impacted. We are the ones that in this narrative that have absolutely zero choice or autonomy or any any say in anything that happens. And just the way that you say that just to me feels super empowering. And I love Mm -hmm. hearing how people identify. Like we've had other guests on too. And it's interesting. Every single person I think that's come on uses different language on how they describe their experience or they describe their self. And to me, that's also really fascinating. We all have this universal thread between us that understands and empathizes with this core wound, what this feels like to have this relinquishment in our life. It's severe, true, true relational trauma. And yet we all have such different perspectives and our worldview around it looks different. I think it's just really fascinating. I love the survivor of infant. What was it? Infant and mother a lot. Infant mother separation. Separation. Yeah. I love that. I think that's really yeah. powerful. Well, and yeah. it just, it just seems like that, it, that was what starts at the beginning, right? Like that right. is starting at much more of what we would consider like the true beginning where, you know, the foundation was, was built on top of. So I always find, and I think IFS, I've just seen this within my practice. Um, You know, many, many people come into treatment identifying as, you know, I'm adopted or I'm an adoptee, because that's just the language that society is really familiar with. And there Mm -hmm. is nothing wrong with that. I use that word as well. So I don't want to say that we're bashing that term. But I think that what I what I've found with clients and even with myself and going through IFS, it gives me like permission to describe it differently if I choose to or if I'm in an environment in an environment where I want to acknowledge other parts of that experience. And I think that that's a really a really powerful thing because language really does matter. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So the book that you were referencing, uh, Kathy, just so that our our readers know, it's it's all together us, and the little subtitle is integrating the IFS model with key modalities, communities, and trends. I personally was so pumped to just see anything relevant, like relevant to adoption and adoptees in this, because I don't think that I have any like clinical books like that, that really touch on it. So I just want to say first and foremost, thank you for doing that because that was amazing. I know that this book is, is specifically geared toward clinicians and people that are in the field. I personally think that it can be relevant for adoptive people just to read, just again, to, to enforce that this stuff makes so much sense and it's so normal. And even to kind of vet clinicians they may be working with and like to kind of see like, oh, these might be some red flags. Can you chat a little bit about some of like what you feel like are the standout things in that chapter and kind of where you found clinicians might be a little bit misattuned to, you know, the adoptee experience? Mm, Yeah, thanks. Um, And I just want to say I was really happy to be asked to contribute that chapter. Yeah. Because like you, I believe that there should always be a chapter on how to work with adoptees in in any book. Yeah. Yeah. That is written about using, you know, whatever modality with a specific population. Yeah. Adoptees should always have a chapter. A few of the most important things for me to convey in that chapter were what we were just talking about, that 
Um, we didn't start with the adoption and that language centers the adoption and the adoptive parent. And, you know, as a society, um, our culture has centered that and that has been changing for several years now and it continues to change and that tends to still be pretty dominant. Um, and so that's why I used the word relinquishy, relinquishy hyphen adoptee in the chapter, because I wanted people who aren't familiar with working with adoptees to keep that in mind. You know, I, I wanted that word to stick in their mind that this is what I want. This is how I want you seeing them. This is how I want you thinking about them. This is a survivor of infant mother separation. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was one of the things. And that there is what I would call biological privilege mm. that people who, and I take this term from a colleague who is also an adoptee, who um, is a therapist who works with other adoptees, Dr. Shetra Wordaliker. She's also in Denver and she gave me the term biological. She as far as I know, she coined that. Um, I learned it from her. And that is the word for people who were um, who grew up with their biological family, usually with their biological parents. So, you know, we have a term and they get a term too. And so I also wanted people who are biologicals to become more aware of their privilege. Um, and it's still hard for me to put this into words and I'm sure you all can, you know, help me with this too, because I, it's still a process for me of figuring it out. That's all, that's an ongoing process. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, it's, it's about the privilege of being able to move about in the world, knowing exactly knowing from the beginning who you came from and what they look like and how they act and like, and um, sharing their culture, like knowing one's family. Mm -hmm. And, and there is this really important piece of, we don't have our original birth certificates, most of us or many of us. And, um, and in the United States, it, you know, some people do, right? It depends, like so many other things, it depends on the state in which you live, whether you've got access to that. And instead, we get this falsified document that is called our birth certificate with our adoptive parents' names on it as though we were born to them. Mm-hmm. And not having that basic information. I mean, just a document that has my actual birth parents' names on it as the parents to whom I was born. And then another line, you know, that says adopted by, you know, just starting like that and not having that most basic piece of information to begin your life and go through your life I believe puts us at a disadvantage and it, it, it marginalizes us. You know, that's legally sanctioned that that's a legal document. And this is a legally sanctioned process of denying us that most basic piece of information. 
I was just going to say, like, I imagine for some people maybe listening who aren't adopted, who haven't had that relinquishment, it might be hard to really fully, fully conceptualize why that is such a big deal. Like I can see how someone might feel like, well, it's just a name. Like you don't know that person anyway, which we know in itself is such a myth to be able to just say that, like you didn't know them or so much of them lives inside of us. Right. And and we carry that DNA imprint with us in so many different ways, even outside of our own awareness or, you know, that that's a part of our stories. But what I, what I don't think people really realize is it's not just a name from like an identity standpoint, this is like our lineage. This holds so much information from like all aspects, whether it's our physical, mental, emotional, spiritual, social, like how we connect to our land, how we connect to like the, like when you talk about privilege, this is what seeps into every ounce and fiber of our being. And yeah. So I think like that really can't be underestimated. And I, so some people that might feel like, like a disconnect, like how can that be such a big, powerful thing? But it really is like you said, the beginning and the beginning of erasure of so much of our identity and how we conceptualize and talk about adoption at large. Yeah. You said that so well and, you know, put into words what has been hard for me um, to articulate. And I, I would say I couldn't fully appreciate this or appreciate it to the degree that I do now before I met my birth parents and more of my birth family, it wasn't until I had that experience of meeting them and knowing them and like seeing, I mean, experiencing in my body what it is like to be in their company and what relaxes inside me just automatically, naturally. Mm -hmm. Um, when I'm with them and like seeing them experiencing similar mannerisms and ways of talking and all of that, I could not have had the appreciation for, I mean, I knew that I always had that sense of being different. I knew that. And I, I sort of understood cognitively why, but it's really different to live that and then become aware of, Oh, this is what it feels like. And this is part of the privilege that yes. people walk around with that is so hard to articulate. Oh, like I'm feeling it now. I'm experiencing it. And now I have the privilege of, yep, I I know those people. And I have the privilege of knowing like who of them I like <laughs> and who of them I don't like. And it's a privilege for me to get to say, yep, I'm so glad I know them. And I don't really like them like they're not my cup of tea I don't really want to be around them that's a privilege for me and like on it was the last time I saw my birth mom so a year ago at Thanksgiving and she did something she was doing something that was really driving me crazy and um and I so I felt annoyed with her so this was a part of me right that got activated and you know made me say to my husband oh my gosh she's driving me crazy (laughs) and to like realize right after that and that is a privilege Mm. for me to get to experience that to know that and to like even have what feels like I don't know kind of a choice to Mm -hmm. say I don't like that I don't want to be around that that feels like a privilege yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think that this, this, what you're, you describe in this chapter, this, this biological privilege, right, is a privilege that 
you know, I don't think a lot of people think about. I think, you know, over the years, we've gotten really familiar with talking about things like white privilege or, you know, socioeconomic privilege or things like that. I personally feel like something like biological privilege is like even just more basic. And for us as, as adoptees, like we have so many additional barriers to get to the basics. Like that's kind of how I describe it to people that I work with stuff that is just like much more seamless for biologicals or non-adoptive people. We just have all these extra hoops to have to jump through. And then if, and when we do get the experience of having some of that biological connection, you know, what you said resonated, Kathy, I think it is, there's always a felt sense of like, like something feels kind of off. Maybe I don't feel as connected to my adoptive family or just like something's not quite meshing. But then if, and when you are able to have that connection with biological family or whoever it, it it's just a feeling like it, it's impossible mm-hmm. to describe for people but it's mm-hmm. just like leaning into you know what could have been should have been all of those kinds of things and you know I think that especially for um you know adoptive parents that are not adoptees themselves for clinicians who are not adoptees themselves this is something that just like if I were working with a client of a different cultural background or a different race and I may have privilege like that's something you have to address from the jump otherwise Mm -hmm. there's it's going to compromise the safety Um, and I think that that's something really important that people in connection with adoptees, whether it's your parenting them, your teaching them, your, you know, their therapist, whatever, we have, we have to get better about acknowledging that privilege or it's going to be another barrier. I think that is an excellent point. And, um, I love what you said about how basic this is, right. And Amy, you know, you talked about like, this is, these are our people. This is our lineage. This is our ancestry. And, Um, and I love what you're saying, Marcella, about naming the, if you are a clinician who was not relinquished and adopted and you work with an adoptee, I think that naming that, like you were describing is really important and can be really powerful and totally relax the person, totally relax the adoptee across from you for you. I mean, I'm just imagining what that would have been like for me to hear when I was, you know, in therapy in my twenties, if any of my therapists had said, I just want to acknowledge that I'm a biological mm-hmm. and that I have privileges. I have privilege as a result of that. And I may not even recognize that sometimes I might miss something, um, it, you know, because I don't have your lived experience and, you know, and I hope you feel comfortable enough to call me on that. Mm-hmm. And and I don't want to look to you to like educate me, mm-hmm. you know, about all these things. I and need to do part. that myself too. Yeah. 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 It's and like, just being able to hold space for that. I like, I was just like, and when you offer that, I was trying to imagine too, because I also have that very real experience of being with clinicians as a client who just are very misattuned to mm-hmm. anywhere you want to enter this conversation where I have felt like I've had to do a lot of educating and then I've just dropped out or I've stopped going because it just felt like that just wasn't why I was trying to seek services in the first place. And that wasn't right. Yeah. 
No, but I'm curious though, on that same vein for you, now that you've been doing this work for so long and being an adoptee doing this work for so long, what would you say to other clinicians or other professionals in this field? And when working with adoptees, like what do you think are some of the biggest things that are being missed or not being attuned to just to expand off of what we're already talking about? Mm-hmm. Um. So in addition to what we've talked about, about the language and remembering what happened before the adoption and biological privilege, I would say this is something I always do. I start every session, every first session with an adoptee by asking them to tell me the story of how they know, what they know about how they came to be relinquished and adopted. Mm. And so I want to give clinicians who might um, not know that it's okay to ask about that, that it's okay to ask about that. In fact, I would say I encourage it because so often, I mean, most of the time we're not asked about that. Mm -hmm. And I never had this experience of any therapist asking me, Mm -mm. what do you know about your birth parents or your biological, you know, what do you know about those first (laughs) about your parents, right? These are your parents. Mm-hmm. your original ones. Um, and so I start, and that's something I write about in the chapter that I start with that story. Tell me how you came to be relinquished and tell me how you came to be adopted. I want to know what led your adoptive parents to this path too. And as I'm listening, I'm listening with my, as we say in IFS parts detector ears um, for parts of them that I, that may get revealed as they tell me the story of what they know. Mm -hmm. And, and I'm also with, let's say I'm working with a younger adoptee and their parent. I'm also noticing things like, does the adoptee look to their parent? Like how often are they looking to them for information? Because that gives me an idea. I mean, I'll, I may ask, you know, have you all, you know, talked about this or how much have you talked about this? Or I'll notice things like the parent might say, you know, remember that I've told you that. Um, and so I'm, I'm just listening for little clues about like how much this has been discussed and is really integrated into, um, my client, into that adoptee, that relinquishy adoptee sitting across from me. So I, I want to say, because I know you know, sometimes like clinicians, I'll hear clinicians say something like, I didn't know if it was okay to ask about that. Yeah. You know, I felt afraid and it's just like talking to someone who has suicidal thoughts. It's not like asking about that is what gives them the thoughts or is going to make them think about it. They're already thinking about it and, and it's important to ask about it. So asking about it actually helps put them at ease. And the clients I see, it's not like they're not thinking about having been relinquished or removed and yeah. adopted. That's why that. they're here. Yeah. And so mm-hmm. ask. Yeah. I think that's such a big myth is that if someone's not talking about it actively, openly, then they're just not thinking about it. And I think what you draw like a lot of attention to is even in our community as clinicians, adopted or not, just like as with clinicians as a whole, 
there's such stigma around adoption. Like till this day, there's so much stigma around it. People are worried to talk about it. They're nervous. They don't have the language Mm -hmm. to talk about it. And I think that's because our culture as a whole stigmatizes this experience from so many different angles. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah. And it's interesting to me. I always am really disheartened when I reflect back on my own training in graduate school, or even when I was getting my BSW and the child welfare system makes up such a huge part of what social workers do. And I think when people who aren't in the field of social work, when they think of social workers, I think they think about the child welfare system. Like, you know, I think that's the imagery that comes to mind. And yet there's no discussion about that in graduate school. Like, or if there is, it's super minimal and it's glossed over and it's not looking through the experience of the lens of an adoptee or, you know, even being centered from the lens of grief and loss. And it just, it's baffling. And it every time it I think about that, it's like I'm shocked by it all over again because this is something mm-hmm. that needs to be more normalized. And I think that's what you're bringing attention to, just to have being able to talk about it and being able mm-hmm. to talk about right. it in a way and not be fearful of the reality mm-hmm. of six. One from the mm-hmm. jump. And I think that that sets the tone too. Yeah. Like I, I think that with, with any hard topic, right? I think that a client just like if it's a parent child, like can sense if we don't want to go there or if it's uncomfortable or if it's something that we just want to like gloss over. And I think that's something that whether it's, you know, being mindful about intake paperwork or being mindful about those questions in the first session, like I am also a fan of asking from the jump or at least making it known with my clients, like, this is on our radar. This is something that's Mm -hmm. okay to talk about here. Am I ever going to force a client to before they're ready? Of course not. But at least putting it on the table to know that any parts of you that want to talk about it or are ready to, like, will be embraced with open arms. I think that that is such a uh, it, it's it's like the 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 experience that really doesn't happen a whole lot for adoptees in therapy. Like, unfortunately, that is not the norm. And so, for any clinicians listening, um, you know, you have three adoptee clinicians here that are saying, please ask the questions. Like, please That's dive right. in and ask those hard questions because you can glean so much important information, even if it's just, well, do they refer to these people as mom and dad? Do they refer to them as birth parents? Do they refer to them? as you know by their names do they refer to them Mm -hmm. as you know is there kind of negative shamey language associated Mm -hmm. is it you know there's a part of them that kind of just like dissociates and kind of like puts it away like you can get so much information information. yeah from talking about this stuff from the jump so much yeah that's right and from an ifs perspective i know that all their parts are listening all of their parts are listening to the questions that i ask and those parts that haven't um, really have much space mm. made for them will feel welcome. And, and, you know, I know that they will perk up when I ask some of these questions and they'll be like, Oh, like there's room for us. You're like, Oh, mm-hmm. it, it, like maybe it's our turn. We're You're talking to, to talk. me. You're talking to me. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. And that's so important. And my, you know, practice because it, it's called adoptee therapy. So it focuses on adoptees and people come to see me because they want to focus uh, on the impacts of having been relinquished or removed and adopted. So I'm not a clinician who, you know, like learns that their client, you know, was adopted, but they come, they're here for another presenting issue. Right. Um, in which case I still 
want to note that they were adopted and be listening again with my parts detector ears for how the presenting issue, you know, that they brought to therapy might be impacted by mm -hmm. having been relinquished and adopted. But in, in my case, everybody whom I see comes to me because they want to focus on how this significant, this traumatic event of getting relinquished has impacted them. Yeah. Yeah. Which I think is a really cool segue. And, and I, I've seen this when I was just even going through your website or just kind of like finding things about you. And I think that you mentioned it in the chapter that you that you write, but you have this like, you know, quote unquote, like the list of things that people come to you for. And, you know, it's it's a list of just kind of some questions that I think are really part centered. And even when you were just saying that, like this thought of like, oh, you know, parts feel like I'm talking to them or I'm hitting on, you know, a certain part there. Can you share a little bit about that list and like kind of how you came up with it? Because I think even when I read it, I'm like, yep, I checked that one. Yep, that's me. Yep, that's, <laughs> I can feel that. Um, so can you just share a little bit about that so that people can understand like these are some really common things that adoptees do face or parts of them hold this stuff. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I came up with the list just thinking about my own experience and knowing I know this isn't just me. You know, fortunately, yeah. I was at a point where I had learned, <clears throat> excuse me, it's not just me. I know it's not. And if I experience this, I know other adoptees do too. Mm -hmm. And I think I had spent enough time around other adoptees at that point too, to know that. But it's things like, you know, I simultaneously really want connection and I might pursue that. And I also push it away when I get it. Mm -hmm. and, we're yeah, all, and so we're, nobody can see us but we're all smiling and nodding, nodding our heads like yep yeah and, and and Marcella what you said about you know checking every item on the list so many of my clients have said that um when they've come in I read what was on your website and I checked every single one um another one is about liking or needing to be in control which makes total sense right because you weren't we weren't in control at the beginning when that trauma happened, relinquishment trauma happened. And that leads a part of us to want to try to be in control of what is happening and what's coming. At least that's how it manifests in me. There is a part of me that really likes to know what's coming, mm -hmm. you know, that likes mm -hmm. to try to predict. Yep. Um, and second guessing oneself, mm -hmm. like, oh, I just, you know, I had this wonderful time with my friend and, you know, we leave and now I am replaying in my head everything that was said and I'm second guessing all of it and I'm worried. Oh gosh, um, I wonder if that made them feel, I wonder if they thought this when I said, I wonder how that made, right? I'm, I'm just second guessing all because I'm worried about the impact on them and that maybe I have caused them to want to get away from me in some way. Mm -hmm. um, I'm trying to think of what else is on that list. Something else that I have noticed that I don't think is on the list, but if I were to add to it, I would say is trusting oneself trusting one's voice because so many adoptees um, 
well, again, second guess it, right? So like something, they'll have an idea about something or, or they'll think, you know, this is what I want or this is what I want to do. I think, you know, this is what I want to say. And then it's like, oh, but you know, like, but do I? Um, and, yeah. you know, just not, not really being sure of that. And again, it's because there are these missing pieces and these missing people. And so mm-hmm. that differentiation process is super complicated and, you know, it results in this second guessing and not fully knowing who one is or what one mm-hmm. wants, because you don't have all the people, all the players there for differentiation, because in our case, it, we have to differentiate from four four different people, right? Two sets of parents. We've got an adoptive mom and an adoptive dad, and we've got a birth mom and a birth dad. And, you know, two of them are often missing. And Mm -hmm. so that really complicates that differentiation process because we don't know what we're separating from. So we don't, we don't have all of the information and the people that allows us to say, yep, like that. Nope, not like that you know, want to be different from that. Oh yeah. Do want to be like that. And then it results in like identity. I'd say, I guess, confusion. Some can be like, who am I? You know, what do I really want? Well, I think I want that, but I don't know if I can trust that or just not being able to trust some of those things that I think intuitively come and we're like, "Mm, but really? Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I think that, you know, what in, in going through the list and just asking those questions and for people that sit with them, you know, I think that this experience pushes us into those patterns, right? Patterns of second guessing, patterns of maybe being more standoffish in relationships, patterns of being maybe super clingy in relationships, patterns of, um, you know, worrying about being abandoned or whatever those are. So I think that it's so important for people to 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 notice and to acknowledge that the experiences that we went through, it's like a direct correlation to us kind of reliving those patterns or parts of us being in those pattern loops. And, yeah. you know, I think that that's something, um, these don't just kind of come out of thin air. And I think that sometimes it's hard for people that don't have this experience to make that link. Um, it's just like, oh, this is their personality or this is just kind of how they are. And it's like, no, this this comes from somewhere. And I think that that's important yeah. to, to acknowledge. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Another one of them is believing there's something wrong with me. And mm-hmm. it kind of always coming back to that, that mm-hmm. really it must be me. Yeah. You know, even though I cognitively, intellectually, I might know otherwise or you know, say, yeah, I know but it still feels like yeah. it's me, Yeah. but there's really something wrong with me. And then react or feeling like um, you don't fit anywhere. Mm-hmm. That's another one that's on that list. Um, and I know, you know, even now with the privilege of knowing my birth families, my paternal and maternal, you know, and then I've got my adoptive family I, I simultaneously have the experience of feeling like I don't really fit in either. I don't fully fit in either. And at the same time, I've got some experience of feeling like, and I fit with both, but, Mm -hmm. but the first experience I had was, okay, so now I know them, you know, I know my original people 
and I still, I, I don't feel like I fully fit with them either. Yeah. 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 Which is exhausting. I can relate to that experience. It is. It's so exhausting. Yeah. And then reacting strongly to loss. That's Mm. another thing. Of course we do. Of course we do. And I think something for clinicians who maybe aren't adoptees and who are curious about working with this population to know is that when you list it out, like very succinctly like that, like I had the same experience, like check, 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 check. All that makes sense. Like that dance of connection. Oh, it feels so great that, oh, nope. But it also feels like it's going to kill me like that. All that stuff just like resonates so so much in my system. But I think one thing for other professionals and clinicians to really, a lot of times these aren't just like isolated thoughts. These are multiple at the same time. And there's like a lot of noise inside of our systems. And I think that that is something that gets really, that needs to be attuned to how much we're juggling in the dance of those parts needing to be in connection and how absolutely fearful that can be how many different strategies our systems are playing all at once to protect. And oftentimes those parts and strategies have very different viewpoints or perspectives or needs on how that protection is going to be carried out. So just to mm-hmm. kind of put that out there for other professionals listening, because I think a lot of times that isn't even really looked at how, how much internal conflict there really can be about how we get that need met of feeling safe and secure. Totally. Yeah. And um, again, we were, everybody was like nodding, right? Marcella and I were nodding as you were saying that the noise, that's what really resonated with me. So much noise. There's so much noise in my head. There has been so much noise in my head, my whole life, so much going on up there. Which I hope for any adoptees that are listening that maybe resonate with that, like you are not alone. That is such a normal thing. And, um, you know, that there is nothing wrong for that. Like it makes sense. Your nervous system and all these parts of you are working so fiercely and so tirelessly to keep you safe. It makes sense that there's a lot of noise for people that are you know, circling around and trying to support an adoptee, you know, that can be very confusing. And I can acknowledge that it's like, oh my gosh, one day they're kind of doing this. And then one day they're saying this and we're all over the place. And so I think that that's why these conversations are so important so that that doesn't, those parts don't get further shamed or blamed or punished because they're, they're just trying to be helpful, right? Like that is one of the premises I love of IFS. Like they're all trying to be helpful in their own way. And we want to extend all of that compassion. Um, but I think that that kind of leads to, to this, this beautiful idea that you've come up with, Kathy, of that not all parts get adopted, right? Which I know that was one of the, you know, you do a, an amazing workshop that is entitled that, that I've attended. It is wonderful. I can't recommend it enough. Um, but can you share with people about that? Because I think that that really um, resonates with a lot of people and I think can be a helpful lens for not only adoptees to look at things through, but for adoptive parents and professionals working with us as well. Yeah, thanks for asking. Um, it has resonated with a lot of people and it, it came to me a few years ago. It just popped into my head one day. Suddenly, you know, I was literally walking through my house and it popped into my head. Not all parts get adopted. And I thought, yep. <laughs> and <laughs> love that. Love that. <laughs> Roll in with that. Yeah. Yeah. And it was like a truth came. Mm. 
and then I, I think I shared it with my husband first and he was like, oh, that is so good. Um, okay. cause he gets it. And, um, and then, you know, I started talking a little bit about it and adoptees would be like, oh, you know, it would just resonate and they would like, look at me, like, tell me more. And, you know, and other people would too. And I would, at first I was like, that's it. Like, that's all you need. That's what you need. Just to know. the sentence. All, Go with that. Yep, yep. Not all parts get adopted. Um, but I, I was able to, um, flush it out and I have continued to do that over time and I continue to learn about it and it's such rich territory and what it means is there are these parts that didn't they at least didn't get adopted they may have gotten relinquished but they didn't get adopted but I would say some of them didn't go through that at all they are these inherent parts of us with which we were born and for some of them anyway, because they didn't go through the trauma of relinquishment and adoption, they're not burdened, some of them anyway. And, or actually, from what I've discovered so far, many of them, they're not burdened. And they carry these riches of like who we were meant to be and what we were meant to do and who we really are and what our gifts are. And, you know, they've got a very different response when we are like trying to figure something out and we're wondering what to do, or, you know, there are those parts that are second guessing. And I was talking about like, not really being sure and thinking this, but, oh, I'm not sure. And, you know, these parts are like, no, it's that, you know, like just do that. They're so clear and they've got all this um, vibrancy. Mm-hmm. You know, they're full of life and they have so much to offer us. And I also want to say there are some that didn't get adopted for other reasons. Like I found one of me, one in me who didn't get adopted because this one was like, nope, already got relinquished by one family, not going to risk it with another. I'm just staying right here. But these parts often, you know, they connect us to our origins. And if we can trust their voices, when we discover them, when we, you know, meet them, uncover them, I should say, if we can trust them, they can lead us all kinds of wonderful places. And from an IFS perspective, we all, it's also really important to get the permission from other parts before we start going to these because the parts that did get adopted and that have worked the ones we've been talking about to some degree anyway that have worked tirelessly throughout our lives to get us kept you know by our adoptive family by the other people who are important to us you know by our significant others by our you know by all the people those parts that have worked so hard to keep us kept can feel threatened by these parts that didn't get adopted. And in fact, the parts that did get adopted can have responsibility for having exiled these parts that didn't get adopted and keeping them over there Mm -hmm. because they are viewed as threatening. And the parts that got adopted can also fear that they might, um, that they 
that we might push them out once we connect, reconnect with the parts that didn't get adopted. And so it's really important to take this process slowly and with lots of consideration for all parts and to invite forth any parts that might feel threatened by in trying to uncover parts that didn't get adopted. And so, and that's what the workshop is about. And it's why I really want to turn it into three days, you know, retreat and style. Yeah. Where, and yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Yay. Um, yeah, because I have found that we really need more time to really slow it down and make space for everybody and also have an opportunity to do some other things um, on the retreat. I love that. That's so awesome. Um, we're going to have to circle back and, and talk more about I want to learn all the details about it. That sounds awesome. And I, when I, this whole conversation, when I listen to you, there's such like a grounding presence about you. So I just, I want to offer that. There's just, there's such a tenderness to you. I'm really, really drawn in, but I think that the, the phrase, not all parts are adopted. Just like if we just take that, that tagline, I think that's a really amazing, simple tool that we can offer to adoptive parents as well, because I think it really helps them get curious about, whoa, how am I really conceptualizing the child in my life, right? Like, do I really mm-hmm. have that belief that their life began at that adoption? And what mm-hmm. am I gatekeeping? And what am I not allowing in? Because my own stuff gets lit up. What is making me feel That's uncomfortable? Right. And I think if we also <clears throat> can get really curious about that, it offers so many opportunities for not only adoptive parents to do their own healing, right? Like opening doors and windows and portals into what they need to work on, what, where their trigger stuff is coming up, but also really like how they're conceptualizing adoption as a whole, like what the system has done, how that's impacted their their family. I think there's just like a lot there that... Um, so much richness and even, I mean, Amy and I are known for talking about being curious all the time. I feel like that's a word that we use constantly in the pod. Like, let's get curious. I'm curious about this. And in just, you know, having for, for our listeners, some of the basics of IFS, like being able to look at this idea of not all parts get adopted, in my opinion, allows us to lean into all of those C's. We can be compassionate for those parts. We can be curious about them. We can be mm-hmm. creative about the ways we get in touch with that, like all of those things. Mm-hmm. So whether you were intentionally doing that or not, Kathy, it's like this amazing full circle moment, which mm-hmm. I think is so cool. But I think, and even for me, and I can speak like in going through your workshop, when when I, when I heard you speak on that, that there were parts of me that hadn't gone through all of that really hard stuff, that gave me a lot of hope. I think that that's a really hopeful thing. I hope mm-hmm. I hope for adoptees out there of there are parts that, like you said, weren't burdened by this, that didn't have to get, you know, tarnished by all of this messiness that we did not ask for, that those parts are still very much living inside of us. We just have to kind of dig around and find them. And then also, I think that kind of to Amy's point, it did have me kind of sitting with the fact that, you know, my adoptive parents who, you know, 30 plus years ago when they didn't have all the education we do now, really missed the mark on some stuff. And there were parts of me that I now know are very normal and make sense that were not adopted by them because they didn't even know that they existed, right? The part of me that would get 
real explosive or the part of me that would get really anxious or the part of me that would, you know, just whatever. Um, those parts were not adopted by my family. That's right. And That's I think right. that that for me allowed space to, to grieve and to, you know, sit with the fact of, wow, I had to go through a lot of time without the wholeness of me and all parts of me being embraced and accepted by these people who are supposed to be my family. And so I think it's like this beautiful, um, you know, both ends of the spectrum, it, it allows for hope and it allows for this continual grief loss journey yeah. that as adoptees, we have to kind of always be on. Yeah. 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 And that's an important piece of it that some parts did not get adopted because the adoptive parents didn't adopt them for mm -hmm. various reasons, including that sometimes they didn't adopt them because those parts, because they reminded them of the birth parents and they, um, you know, didn't, didn't want to be reminded of them for whatever reason, felt threatened mm -hmm. by them. And so that's another important part of it too. Yeah, yeah. And I, I've started asking um, more often in my sessions with my clients, things like, um, what are the parts of you that didn't get adopted have to say about this? Mm. And it just opens up this whole other area of exploration. And I mean, again, we do that with permission, but it can be really helpful to ask questions like that, um, particularly if someone is trying to make a decision, a pretty big decision, I think it's important to ask, well, what are the parts of you that didn't get adopted have to say about that? Because they can offer a perspective that no other part has mm -hmm. for, you know, exactly that reason that they weren't burdened by those experiences. And I just want to add real quickly, I think the seed for this idea came to me a long time ago, well before I ever knew about IFS, when I was at a point in my life where I remember thinking, I think I was on my way to an adoptee meeting one evening with a community of, you know, other members of the adoption constellation. And I thought, I'm tired of having been adopted. I like, I don't want to, I think at that point, I'm real specific now. I talk about having been adopted, not I am adopted, but I was adopted. But I think at that point, I was still saying I am adopted rather than referring to it as an event that happened. Mm -hmm. And I thought, I'm tired of being adopted. I don't want to be adopted anymore. And I actually, you know, think that that was really the seed for this mm -hmm. idea that there are parts that didn't, that exist like outside of or beyond um, independent of adoption, relinquishment yeah. and adoption. Yeah. yeah. Which I think is so powerful. And for any, um, you know, I think that so to be able to hold space for those parts, I, you know, I've, I've, I've clinicians or with other clinicians that, you know, if were to say that of like, oh, I hate being adopted or I wish I wasn't, the knee-jerk reaction is like, oh, like your, your, your family really loves you and things are good. And like, let's look at the positives and like, just totally disregarding those parts that didn't get it up. And so I think that that is something that I'd be such a cool framework for clinicians as well is be really curious about what parts of your client have 
historically been shamed or have gotten into a lot of trouble or have gotten rejected or are really misunderstood by parents or family or partners or whoever, because mm -hmm. those mm -hmm. are the parts that are really going, you're need you're going to need to get a lot of buy-in from those parts mm -hmm. to do, mm -hmm. to do this work. And so I think it can be a full framework for a whole bunch of people tied to, you know, this experience. Yeah. And these parts, they get, I, they get, um, exiled in a lot of different ways. Um, I mean, they get exiled by the parts of us that did get adopted and they get exiled because we grow up without mirrors. Yeah. We grow up without our, without the biological mirrors that would like provide validation to these yeah. parts. You know, we, we grow up without that. And so that is a way that they inadvertently get exiled too, because there's nobody to mirror um, like our mannerisms, our, you know, our ways of being, how we look, yeah, what we do and what we say and how we do it and what we say it. And without those mirrors, it just all gets exiled. hundred percent. Yeah. yeah. I think it's this nice way of giving the opportunity for some repair, right? Like I think like yes. whether it's repairing internally with those parts, yes. whether adoptive parents yes. are able to, like Amy said, do their own work and repair with their adoptee in their life, yes. whether it's clinicians repairing and being like, you know what, like I kind of messed that up or I shut you down about that the other day. Like it just opens the door, I think, for repair, which ultimately like our systems need need a lot of. Absolutely. Yeah. And there's always the possibility of repair. There's always an opportunity for that, or maybe almost always anyway. Yeah. Yes. This is such a rich, like an enriching conversation. I've really enjoyed this conversation today. And it's got my Me own turning just like kind of, you know, just like always revisiting, even doing this work, like how much am I keeping, helping my clients keep a pulse on these things and how much am I keeping a pulse on these things, even in my own processing, you know, continuing to do my own work. And I think you've just given me some nuggets to really noodle on over the next, however long as it, as this conversation continues to integrate. And this has just been really great. Thank you so much. Yeah. Oh, thank you. There's one more thing I want to say that keeps yes. popping into my head yes. that I think is just worth noting. When we were talking about privilege, you know, yeah. biological privilege, I think an important piece of that to acknowledge is that I believe adoption is rooted in white privilege. Mm. Yeah, and, snaps for you know, that. I'm going <laughs> to, yeah, mic drop moment there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I'm, I'm, I'm a white adoptee adopted by white parents and I, um, and I was um, a recipient and a recipient, a, a subject, mm -hmm. of, you know, of that or an object. You know what I'm trying to say? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't want to use the word victim. That doesn't feel quite right. But yeah. 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 It's a truth. It's a hard, I mean, it's a hard truth for a lot of people. But again, mm -hmm. you know, it's adoption. There's a lot of hard stuff that we got to, we got to face. Yeah. 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 
So this is yet another one of our episodes that's going to be airing during NAM. So again, like we said, we hope that everybody's being extra gentle with themselves this month. Um, Kathy, any words that you have or messages, especially since it is NAM, that you have for our fellow adoptees out there, for clinicians that are listening, um, anything that you would like to say to everybody? You do not have to educate your therapist. It's... Oof. Yeah, it's Full not your, <laughs> it's not your job. There is enough information out there at this point. And I just I don't if you are with a therapist that you really like and connect with and you are and you don't mind um educating them or filling in some, you know, blanks for them, cool, great. Mm-hmm. You know, what's most important is that you're with a therapist that you connect with, but I just want to acknowledge the emotional labor involved in um, having the experience that you have to educate your therapist and sitting across from someone, as many of my clients have told me has happened to them of receiving a blank stare, you know, and, or just nothing, just having a therapist not know how to respond. And unfortunately, there are not enough of us, there are not enough adoptees who are therapists specializing in working with other adoptees. And it actually, it's kind of ironic because when I first started doing this work and I was completing my training, I had a supervisor whom you know I told of my intent to specialize in working with adoptees. And he told me, I'm just afraid it might be too narrow. Like, oh, Lord. Okay. You know, you might be narrowing your, and I, I knew well, better. Well, that's a, you've proved him wrong moment. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And here we are. And there are not nearly enough of us. No. Not nearly enough. Not nearly yeah. enough. Yeah. So, um, you know, so we need more of you to become therapists and you don't have to educate your therapist if you want to great because you really connect with this person and I just don't want you to go through more emotional labor thank you for that thank you for saying that I feel that yeah Yeah. well tell us Kathy where can people find you on social media for your services is there anything that you have up and coming that you'd like to share with our people listening yeah, um, the, probably the best place um, for people to find me is on Instagram at Adoptee Therapy um, and my website, adoptetherapy.com. And the best way to reach me is um, through email, Kathy at adoptetherapy.com. And I do have a Not All Parts Get Adopted workshop um, coming up in January. And I, yeah, so please come to that workshop if that resonates with you. And if you're at a point where you feel ready to explore and maybe uncover some of those parts and stay tuned for information on um, the retreat that is getting developed. Yes, that Amy and I will head. be attending. So. Yeah. Yay. That's Yay. so awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. And, you know, for sharing your thank time. You. And I know that this in itself is some emotional labor just to kind of dig deep and share not only your personal story and journey, but also the work that you do. But I'm so glad that you are out there doing the work that you do, because I know that our community is just better for it. So 
Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And thanks for continuing to be curious about ways to expand and be creative, to continue to offer these really cool retreats and workshops. I just feel good knowing that there's resources like that out there, not only for my clients, but also for myself. So thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I love talking about this. So it doesn't actually feel like emotional labor. We could all talk about this for days. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, you can, you guys listening can find us on Instagram at Adoptees Dish Podcast or at Gmail at Adoptees Dish at gmail.com. We always love hearing from you, your questions, your thoughts, and just joining our conversation. We're so excited for every single person who's in community with us. So thank you so much for tuning in. We'll talk to you next week. Thanks. Thank you so much for listening and tuning into Adoptee's Dish. We want to give a special shout out to Anchor, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, and Google Podcasts, where you can now tune in and find all our episodes. If you like what you heard and want to continue the conversation, you can email us at adoptee'sdish at gmail.com or find us at Adoptee's Dish Podcast on Instagram. Please share this podcast, talk with others, and always remember we have the power to heal broken systems. Tune in next week for our next episode. Thank you.